from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This is Chip Lutz. I'm the conventional leader. And today, like I've done before in prior episodes, I get the opportunity to talk to somebody that traverses both of my worlds, both my leadership world and my humor world. I get to talk to Courtney Clark. Now, what I like about Courtney is that not only does she know her shit as far as resilience goes, she's just an awesome person and super, super funny. I had the opportunity to watch just her blooper reel on, on <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, that is so hilarious. I would use that as my prime stuff right there. But I'm just so delighted that she's with me today. So welcome, Courtney, to the podcast. Big cheers to you. Yay! Hi, Chip. I'm so glad to be here. The pleasure is absolutely mine. Now, we've spent some time together at different conferences, talking about things. But for my listeners, if you could tell me about who Courtney is. Yes. So I come at resilience. Uh, I'm a recovering actress. That's what I thought I was going to do with my life. And as with most of us, my life did not turn out the way that I planned. Um, so I turned, I decided to make that my career path, dealing with life's unexpected detours. Um, I am a three-time cancer survivor and a brain aneurysm survivor. And because of that, I got really passionate about this idea of resilience. How do we climb our way back up when life is just gnarly to us? And um, what I'm especially excited about and what I've really been working on with some of my research is this idea that you can be resilient without having to be like Pollyanna, super peppy all the time. That's not realistic. Right. Um, and for a lot of people, that's, that's really out of reach. That's not even their natural set point. Uh, and so they may think, oh, well, that's just not who I am. I can't be that way. And so that's what I became really passionate about, helping people of all personality styles, of all learning styles, find their path to, hey, I don't have to live in this hole just because something happened to me. Well, and I, I, I want to get into, like, I knew like, I knew you were a cancer survivor, but I didn't know you were a three-time cancer survivor. I mean, that just floors me. Before we get into that, I just thought we'd get our conversational juices flowing. Now, where do you fall on your family tree? Youngest, oldest, middle child? Where, do you, where are you? I'm so oldest, obviously. Mm. <laughs> this, this, changes, this, this, change, this changes my first question, because normally, like, I would ask you, like, what was the craziest thing your siblings ever did to you? But I'm going to ask you this right here because I'm the youngest. So what was the craziest thing you ever did to your younger siblings that you're like, you know, that later on you think you're going to have retribution for? Um, I was a phenomenal big sister. I have no idea what you're talking about. Bullshit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am sure that my siblings will recall what that is, I was, I was a pretty good rule follower. I, I think honestly, the, the biggest annoyance, like my little brother was three years younger and the biggest annoyance for him simply was that I was such a rule follower and that I was like the little parent in the family. So it wasn't one, any one big thing that I did. It was always like, you didn't do this. Mom told you, you have to do the dishes. You didn't clear the table. It was more like being like another mom to him. It was probably the biggest annoyance. It was it, no one big thing. 
all, just that, all the little things. <laughs> oh, but this is so funny. Is I remember the day he got bigger than me. <laughs> he went off to like three day football practices right before his freshman year in high school. I swear to you, Chip, that morning he was smaller than me. I could sit on him to make him do his chores and things. And like he came home that afternoon and I went and I looked at him and then I looked another six inches higher. Like my eyes, I was all of a sudden like looking directly at his chest where I swear to you, his eyes had been that morning. That is so funny. Cause that never happened to me. I mean, I'm the youngest, but everybody in my family is about the same size. I have a couple brothers that are taller than I am, but um, that never really happened to me as the youngest child. And it was funny that you are so benign on, you know, what you did to younger siblings. Cause I can, I can list. I have a list of things that my brothers did to me like, Hey, chipper, come here. Let me tell you a secret. And they'd spit in my ear or, or, you know, get down the ground, do the big long spit thing, you know, or, you know, secretly wipe boogers on my back. I mean, there's a whole list of things that they did to me. And I know that, you know, your list is probably a little more sorted. You just don't want to share it. I swear it's not. I'll text my brother right now. We'll see if we get an answer. But <laughs> That's hilarious. No, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I'm texting him right now. If I get an answer, I'll let you know. Okay. Now I'm, awesome. now I'm dying to know, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Now you're pretty young. I mean, so, I mean, like I said, I knew about the, you know, you being a cancer survivor, but three times, I mean, you've got to find ways to bounce back from that. I mean, what, you know, and I don't want to dig deep and open up, you know, huge, huge, you know, wounds or anything, but what was that like that? I mean, that's just crazy for being as young as you are. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting when you get cancer at such a young age and to get cancer as a young adult, I then found we're this weird generation. We, most people are diagnosed, of course, with cancer at an older adult population. Young adults, we fall in between that typical pediatric cancer patient and the geriatric cancer patient. Mm -hmm. And nobody really gets what you're going through. Um, it's such a unique time to have cancer and you too, I felt really alone. I, I had a close friend at the time and she just didn't know how to treat me. And she started like coming up with all these illnesses that she had. And like, I, try, I don't know if she was trying to sympathize, but she kept going on and on about maybe trying to get pregnant. Meanwhile, my own fertility was being threatened. Um, nobody really knows how to deal with you. My brother just texted back, by the way, and he says the worst thing I ever did um, was tell him to shut up. I told you I was such a good big sister. That is so sad. He you heard uh, it. Uh, Clark uh, says. Well, I'll tell you what, tell him that he needs an older brother and I'll be happy to do that for him. Yeah. Well, you know what he reminds me of? <laughs> this, is what a, this is what a kind and innocent person I was even before the cancer is that when he's three years younger, when we were little, um, I apparently ran to my mom and I said, mom, Gerald called me a shut up. I didn't even understand the construct of the sentence. Shut up. I said, Gerald called me a shut up. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, I didn't, I didn't even know as the three-year-older sister. Um, yeah. So, so at 26 diagnosed with cancer, it, it, it totally knocked me back. Um, I was a newlywed. I was married to my now ex-husband at the time. And a lot of people have faced that same experience because we just, we didn't have decades of marriage to fall back on. Right. Um, and our, now, not to say that there weren't other problems in the marriage, um, 
but I think that really hastened our decline mm -hmm. because we didn't know how to be with each other and he didn't know how to be a good support system um, to me. I think he, he was trying the best that he could, mm -hmm. uh, but we just, we did not have a foundation to move forward from. And then you're 26. I was 26, single. I had big old gnarly scars. Um, you, you know, probably couldn't have children. And I recently divorced all before my 27th birthday. Wow. And I'm trying to date again. So, yeah, it, it, it did a number on my self-esteem um, and, and the way I saw myself. But at the same time, it uh, it's too simplistic to say that it was a gift, right? Yeah. I, I hear people say that all the time. I'm sure you do as well. Um, and... Uh, I, I can't go, I can't say that it's quite that easy right? because I wouldn't choose it, right? right? I used to joke, like, if cancer's a gift, can I have the receipt to return it, please? No, uh, no shit. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry for interrupting there, but I would agree so with you on that. Yeah. 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 It's, that's, it's, it's overly simplified. That said, as with many things, there were some great things that came out of it. I always say every beauty has a beast and vice versa. Right, just like like every quality that each one of us has that's amazing and it's gotten us to where we are today, or every experience that we've had, it, it all has a shadow side. Uh huh. You know, like like me being the bossy big sister. Well, I'm confident and I love to you know help people and give advice, but in the wrong situation or with somebody who's not interested, that's bossy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, every beauty has a beast. And in this case, you know, every beast can have a beauty too. Um, so I am really grateful that from going through that experience, I, you know, I was able to get out of a marriage that wasn't for me. Um, and it really helped set me on my path. Uh, I, I was already in the nonprofit world, but then I started to, I started working for a nonprofit for young adults with cancer uh -huh. and that I was just so passionate about doing that kind of work. I just want to tell you that if we go no further in this conversation, absolutely no further in this conversation, that what you just said right there, that every beauty has a beast, is it like a mic dropper for me. Like I had never really thought about things like that, that, you know, we all have these things that are fantastic in our lives, but each one of those might have a little bit of a dark side as well. And, you know, I, I've never thought about the duplicity of some of those, you know, things in my life before. So, I mean, that's something that, I'm going to go to bed tonight thinking about like, oh man, what is the beast to that? Yeah, mm. see, now you're not going to go to bed tonight. You're going to be up all night long sending me nasty emails because you can't sleep. <laughs> no, I'll, I can always sleep. Yeah, I just asked my wife. As soon as my head hits the pillow, I'm out. Good. I'm um, a sleeper too. Yeah, it drives, her, it drives her crazy. She's like, I don't understand it. As soon as your head hits the pillow, you're out. I'm like, I got a clean conscience. That's why. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you're. I don't know what you're doing, but I've got a. I've got a clean conscience. Okay. Um, we ponder this in the shower, then. <laughs> so. I do. I think that's very true. That you know, we we always have to be aware that whatever our, our strongest trait is, that amazing thing that has gotten us where we are in life, it can be overused or you know used with the wrong person. Yeah. We just have to. We have to be aware of that. That is awesome. I, I, I could end this right now. It would be good, but I know you have so much more to share. So 
you know, thinking about the whole world of resilience, I mean, obviously you got to be able to, you know, you go through something like that. I mean, you know, divorce, I mean, we all go through different things in life. I mean, you have illnesses, like you said, you divorced. I mean, you had all these things happen at once. I mean, you have to find some strategies that can, you know, help you like push forward. I mean, otherwise we just like, we sit in this mire of crap. So, you know, in your journey like that, what are some of the things that, you know, you learned in the process of all that? The, so one of the first things that I learned and that I talk about in some of my presentations is letting go of this idea of the plan, right? Like I, maybe it's because I'm an oldest child, um, but so many of us who are high achievers, especially those type A types, I'm like type A minus, um, but you know, we, we've got this plan, right? This idea and we're told that you're going to be successful if you have a plan and you're working towards it and you put all your focus towards it. And so many of us have this, uh, we've dreamed up this idea of what our life is supposed to look like. And if we work hard and we're a good person, then we're going to get those things. Mm -hmm. And for many people, it, it works out that way until it doesn't. <laughs> um, and then for some of us starting at a fairly early age, like for me, you know, it's just like, nope, 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 nope. And you hit, you keep hitting the wall. Yeah. And, I actually kind of think it was great that I hit that wall early because I came to expect that things aren't going to go according to my plan. And so uh -huh. now when they don't, I'm able to take it a little less personally and I'm not rocked on my heels back for quite so long as people that I know where, oh gosh, it happens, you know, after 40 and it's like, oh wait, things were rolling along so great. What happened now? Yeah. Um, so it, this idea of letting go of the plan. And so many people um, who hear, heard me talk about that are like, I'm trying to let go of the plan, but the plan won't let go of me. You know, we, we can say that, oh, okay, I'll, I'll just, you know, I get it. Like, it's not my plan. You know, sometimes if, if, if for a person who's really spiritual, like, okay, not my plan, but God's plan. But it's harder than we think Yeah. <laughs> to let go of this idea that if we do what we're supposed to, if we're a good, hardworking person, that things are just going to line up for us. Um, so that was a real, was a real, real, real key picture that I painted in my brain. Mm -hmm. That's not, it's not that simple. Well, it's kind of funny you say well, it's that. It's kind of funny you say that. That's, um, that's, um, we are kind we of, we are kind of, are you getting the feedback? Are you getting the feedback I'm getting? No, I don't hear anything. Oh, I hear myself. No, I hear All right. myself. All oh, right. there we go. Oh, there we go. <laughs> it's just kind of weird. All right, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. We're all we're all still good. So, but we within our society, we are kind of like you know geared towards you know uh, this is this is you know you this is the plan. You know, you graduate, you go to college, you get married. This is these are the things, and that you know sometimes, like you said, you know especially for type A or A minus, like you said. It, it, it can be difficult if things don't go according to that plan and we've got to be able to pivot here and there. Yeah. You know, they let me go of the plan. I think that's an important thing you just said is it's difficult for us to let go of that. Yeah. We're an achievement success driven society. And I think so often we correlate we success with hard work. Mm -hmm. If you're working hard, ultimately you're going to get what you're working towards. And that's not, always a hundred percent true no it's no. just not um 
but you know we and we th that's another issue that comes into play um, is we look at other people and we think other people have it easy we think other people have been given some set of instructions that we haven't gotten right like everybody else has has the directions and you're the only one fumbling through. And we play that Everybody game. else has something awesome in their life, and I got shit. Right. <laughs> Everybody else has somebody whispering in their ear, being like, okay, now's the time to ask for a raise. Turn yeah. right here. You know, it, we, and it looks like that from the outside, because we play the comparison game, and gosh, social media sure as heck has not helped that, because um, everybody looks like, they're not struggling. I joke like on social media, you only see people post like the really awesome stuff right. or they post the like weird 2 a.m. you know, kind of like I, I'm, I need help sort of strange cry right. for stuff. I'm so sad, but they won't tell you why. Yeah, yeah. the vague, the vague. <laughs> the vague. Oh, please tell me. Please tell me why you're so sad. Please. Right. right. There's that. And then you don't really know how to help them. Um, it, so, you know, we have this like fake sense of how everybody else is coping uh -huh. and, and then, so then we compare and then we think we're the only one who's struggling. We're the only one who doesn't have the directions. Um, and one of the things that I sometimes will say, depending, um, depending on the audience, I, I like to tell people just, I, I like to revealed just how deeply I struggled because when I was first diagnosed with cancer, um, a lot, anybody who's been through this will probably have a similar experience. People would go, oh, you're so strong. And it's like, uh, thank you. You don't really know what to say. So right. Thank you. And then, you know, two years later, I'm diagnosed with cancer again. Oh my gosh, you're so strong. Thank you. And then I had the brain surgery. Mm -hmm. And um, it was truly the most painful experience of my life. I, I was hallucinating for days. I couldn't walk. It, 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 was, it was truly the depths of despair. And at one point, I looked up at my newlywed husband. Um, we had been married for less than a year. And I, I just said, I wish I would have never had this surgery I should have just let the aneurysm rupture so that I could have just died in peace. Oh. And I, I didn't talk about that after it happened for a while because it's kind of embarrassing because um, I know how lucky I am to be alive. Mm -hmm. Many times over, in fact. Um, and so I thought, gosh, that's, that's embarrassing. I shouldn't share that. And then what I realized is if those of us who've been in the pit just keep saying, thank you, when somebody says you're so strong, then, because we don't know what else to say, and, and you're like, I'm pretty sure they don't want to hear all of it, but I feel like it's important to tell people, because I don't want anybody else ever thinking, well, Courtney's so strong, Chip's so strong, my friend Maria is so strong, I must be weak because I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Um, and so now I kind of feel like I have a responsibility to share just how dark that time was for me so that other people understand the face of resilience. Well, it does not look like just bouncing up the next day like, cool, that's over. I feel great. Well, I, think, 
I think you bring up something really important there in that a lot of times, I mean, in all suffering is relative. I mean that, you know, and I'm not negating, you know, what you were going through. I'm just like, everybody has different things that they go through, but a lot of times they, they think they're alone. They think that they show their vulnerability that, you know, they're weak or there's something's wrong with them. And that the fact that you're, you know, it, it really, when you show that vulnerability to me, it shows, you know, uh, an inner strength that, you know, you went through it. And if people see that, they're like, oh, well, you know, they can gain strength themselves. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and I think, you know, there's an element to, like, we don't want to share it because, <clears throat> Again, I know for me, there is this, there's this idea of the noble suffering, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we think when somebody has cancer, for example, and we say, oh my gosh, they're so strong, you kind of don't want to burst somebody's bubble and say, actually, I'm, I'm really not. Your, your perception may be that I'm strong, but all I'm really doing is putting one foot in front of the other every day because I don't have a choice. Right. Because um, I'm still living and so I'm just waking up in the morning. Um, so we've, we've romanticized, I think, um, this idea of this her- heroic, this noble suffering. Um, and it makes it so that when we're the one suffering and it's not noble and it's not heroic and we just want to cry and give up, we think we must be the only one feeling that way because right. we look at it from the outside and we thought, wow, other, oh man, that person's handling that so gracefully. I just, so, I, I absolutely I love, mystify that. <laughs> I absolutely love the way you put that on how we romanticize that um, because, you know, it, that's the way, honestly, that's what we see on, on media all the time, you know, you, TV, sitcoms, whatever. Oh, you know, they made it through and it's, it's nice, you know, however, there are some days when you're going through shit, it's just shit and yeah. you don't <laughs> you know, you want to tell somebody, but yeah, I really can't say something. So I, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know, you, you brought that out. That is yeah. awesome. It's, it's sometimes it's just ugly. It absolutely is. Well, absolutely. Very ugly. It's very humbling when your newlywed husband has to take you to the bathroom and wipe your booty. Like it's just, there is, there's nothing romantic about it. And you're, you're a child all over again. And it's just really humbling. I can, I can only imagine. Um, my wife didn't, you know, it didn't have to wipe mine, but, um, I did tell her she is very klutzy and I tell her when she gets older that, uh, when she can't take care of herself, I'm going to do her makeup. And so when the kids, when the kids come over, they're going to be like, why does Gwen look surprised all the time? Cause I'm going to draw her, I'm going to draw her eyebrows really big. (laughs) <laughs> or they'll come over like, oh, Gwen looks, re- Gwen looks really, Gwen looks really cross today because I'm gonna like, you know, put her eyebrows in a down thing. So uh, anyway, I will not let you do that. I'm gonna send you some YouTube videos. <laughs> no, I will do that because it'll be funny to me. And you know, that's just me. You know, I, we were laughing about it when I was saying that. So kudos <laughs> to you for like, you know, sharing you know some of that stuff because I think it's important for people to hear yeah. that you know, there's you know. We, we put this false sense that there's nobility and suffering, but sometimes you just need to share that stuff with people. So, you know, yeah, I appreciate I don't you. I think it's fair for anybody to be in that position and think everybody else must be handling this with more grace than me. Yeah. Um, so. 
Well, let's shift a little bit and you know, look at some of the other keys that you share with people on bouncing back. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, emotions are what they are. What do you feel is what you feel. They're neither good or bad. Sometimes you've got to go through, you've got to go through the shit and feel that. Sometimes, you know, you got to make a choice to do something different. So, you know, what are some of the things when you go out and, you know, I've seen you, you know, I've never seen you in person, unfortunately, hopefully someday I do, but I mean, I have when we're, at conferences, but never on stage. Never but do my thing. I never seen you do your thing, and I hopefully I, I can sometime. But I've seen you know some of your stuff on video, and it's so you know so compelling and so engaging. And I know that the people in the audiences get so much from you know what you share. I mean, so what are some of the things that you share with people on helping them you know kind of like get through that murk, get through that mire, and you know and and bounce back. So I talk a lot about shifting your perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and how do we avoid, we talked a little bit about avoiding the comparisons, um, and how do we then focus on the future? That's a lot of the research that I've done in resilience talks about that future orientation and having that future orientation is so powerful. You know, when you think about what psychologists say about people who've been through trauma, they talk about how when you've been through trauma, the past is always present. That's like one of the key definitions of someone who's been traumatized. Mm -hmm. Idea that the past is always present. So my definition of resilience is someone for whom the future is always present. This idea that if you can always keep that little nugget in your mind of I am moving towards something. Mm -hmm. um, again, you know, some people will call it like this too shall pass. Um, that is such powerful fuel in your engine. And uh, some of the original research done on this, they were talking about like adverse childhood experiences or what they call ACEs. Um, and I just love that research because it's what my son embodies that research. Um, so I adopt, my husband and I uh, adopted a teenager. I can't make babies um, thanks to the cancer. It's not a good idea. But my husband and I adopted a teenager. He's now 24. So I'm the 38-year-old mom of a 24-year-old. Woo, it's a boy. Um, <laughs> and yeah, well, there, I mean, again, it's one of those things where you, you, you may make this plan all you want, but my kid had already been born. Mm -hmm. He just, he'd been born when I was, whatever, in junior high or high, I guess high school. Um, and he was waiting for me to find him. And he is such a perfect representation of this idea of being future oriented mm -hmm. because his whole life he has done this amazing job of setting goals and reaching for them and just always being able to move the bar just far enough that he's not discouraged mm -hmm. right so it's not like I'm going, you know, someday I'm going to perform on stage in front of 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. Like that may be an ultimate goal, but he always has a goal that's just far enough in advance for, you know, for the longest time, of course, it was he was going to go to college. Mm -hmm. Then it was, I'm going to graduate from college and I'm going to move to LA. And then I'm going to start my own music business. And, you know, he's done all of these things. And the being able to focus on the future is it's almost like fairy dust in terms of its ability to keep you moving out of a difficult situation. They found when they were talking to these 
kids in tough situations. There were there are of course lots of things that are called protective factors like having, you know, one trusted adult, right? We know relationships with people. That absolutely contributes to our ability to crawl back out of the pit. Um, that that's a huge thing. But even more than other people in their life to rely on, this this future orientation, those kids who didn't get caught up in the here and now, the today, the what I don't have, but had something that they were looking forward to, those were the kids who made it. Interesting. Very interesting. It's kind of like, you know, looking strategic, but acting tactically. Yes. But, you know, you've got the, the big picture on there, but I'm still going to, I've got these little things that are going to build up to that. And I, I'm a firm believer that life always looks better when you got something on the calendar. You know, Ooh, yeah, exactly. It always looks better, you know, that, you know, I, I can be in the, the Merck and the Meyer today, but it's always going to look better if I got something coming up. I got, you yeah. know, well, today's kind of shitty, but I got something coming up. It's something on the calendar. Yeah. Exactly. Well, there is scientific research behind why that works. And, you know, it's funny too, like when you talk about, um, you were talking about like, think, how did you put it? Acting strategically. Think it's strategically acting tactically. Yeah. yeah, strategically acting tactically. Kind of that big picture, you know, the in the moment and the future stuff. Um, I always think of it uh, when I was learning about coping skills, that there is problem-focused coping and emotion-focused coping, right? And some people are more likely to use one or the other. It can be a personality-style thing, but the, the heartiest among us can use both, right? And the more often you can use both problem-focused coping, so that's like that tactical now in the moment, right? I'm going I'm to problem-solve this. But then emotionally, okay, what am I going to do long-term? How am I going to deal with my emotions around all of this? And that, mm -hmm. that future orientation, that's that hope piece. So you, if, when you add those two together, that's when you're really strong. Nice. Very, very Victor Frankelish of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, I don't know if Franklish is really a word. I just had Franklish, to I, he, he would probably love that. He probably would. Absolutely. That's a great way, a great first step. What are some other things that, you know, because I, I know that you've got a full repertoire of you know, things that you share, and I want to, you know, get some, you know, course that can help people bounce back. So I think that in today's society, and we're all dealing with different things, like I said, and everybody's suffering is relative, you know, yeah. that's, you know, what I'm going through, I might think is horrible, but you might like, oh, it's really not all that bad. But what are some other things that, you know, help people, you know, make that shift? Well, what you said about it being relative, one of the things that I always recommend that people do um, is find perspective. And the top thing that I recommend is for people to go and volunteer. Uh, it's interesting though. So why I did a lot of research for my first book, which was kind of born out of my prior career. I used to work in the nonprofit world. And so I, I got really interested in this idea um, because like, why do I had seen a lot of people who had gone through a trauma and then wanted to come volunteer, give back, get involved. So I really got curious, like why, why does that happen? And so I started, uh, doing some research that became my first book, the giving prescription mm -hmm. and in the giving prescription, one of the things that I talk about is why does giving and volunteering help us get perspective. And it, interestingly, 
it doesn't work for the reasons that you think that it does. Um, because a lot of people, you might assume that it works because you're making what's called a downward comparison. Um, like where, okay, well, at least I don't have it as bad as this person. Mm -hmm. um, but it's actually not why it works. Sorry, if you can hear my dogs wrestling in the background. <laughs> I have a new puppy. Um, so a downward comparison is when you take a look at somebody and you say, well, at least I don't have it as bad as that person has it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not why volunteering actually works. The reason volunteering works is because it helps boost your personal power. Um, that when you give back to someone else, you realize, no matter how low you are, that you actually have the power to impact someone's life. Just, just like, I always joke, we're so good at seeing things in other people's lives. If you can look at your friend and be like, oh my God, she's making the same mistake over again. We, we're always so good at other, seeing other people's stuff, you know, better than we are our own. So when we help someone else, we see our own personal power come through to help better their life. Mm -hmm. And it's somehow so much easier than if we were trying to use our, our personal power to help our own life. Right. Because we sometimes feel diminished, right? When we're going through something difficult, we're, we're not feeling resilient. We're feeling really challenged. Um, we just may feel like that personal power is completely depleted. But then when we try to use it on someone else's behalf, it's somehow easier. So that's why I always recommend volunteer, I mean, volunteering specifically, helping anyone works. Um, I, of course, love the formal structure that comes with volunteering, particularly right. at a nonprofit. But really, anytime you can help someone, you're going to reap the same benefit. But it's, it doesn't actually, it's not the downward comparison, the at least I don't have it as bad as this person. Right. Because when I was volunteering, I mean, there were times that I was volunteering in the middle of my diagnosis where I mean, you could argue I had it worse than some of the people I was helping. Right. And yet it still really gave me this stamina because it was like, oh, well, I'm not helpless. Look what I'm doing. I'm making this person's life better and I'm making this and look, I've made this person smile. I've completely brightened their day. And then all of a sudden you don't feel powerless and helpless anymore. Yeah, I completely and then that's a ball that once it starts rolling downhill, you're like, hey, I'm not powerless and helpless at all. Right. Well, two things on that. You know, one, I all I always feel better when I watch um, like Maury Povich. <laughs> because, you know, I'm not on there wondering who my baby's daddy is. Two, um, yeah, after my divorce, I mean, I was like, you know, I was in a really dark place and it was like, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, I didn't, you know, I went out and worked, but you know, it's still, but you know, what made a big shift for me was you know, doing what you just said is that I started volunteering with my church with the community meal on serving, you know, food to people. And it was just one of those things that uh, I was like, it, it just made a big difference for me on giving back. So it's, it's yeah. kind of magic. It's I, I got really excited about doing that research um, for the giving prescription. And it's kind of funny, you know, we were just talking about like emotion focused coping and pro versus problem focused coping. Mm. Um, when I was writing the book, my publishers initially didn't like some, when I was writing some of the benefits and I was, so I was talking about personal power. Um, I was talking about perspective and all the things that you get 
out of volunteering that everyone gets, but that particularly help those of us who are volunteering after we've been through some kind of a challenge or a trauma. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I wrote is, look, there are tangible, you know, practical benefits to volunteering, like getting out of the house or networking. And they said, we don't really like that. You know, we think we should just kind of keep it to the more emotional, you know, non-tangible stuff. And I said, I'm going to fight you on that because I think you don't realize that sometimes getting out of the house when you've been through something traumatic is hugely important. Yes. I mean, that, that, it, that feeds the emotional piece of it. And I, I, I fought and I kept it in there. Or even so, like the, the, the personal interaction that you get when you're volunteering, it can help you build up your job skills. You know, as a young adult with cancer, I was very lucky that I didn't lose my job. But a lot of people who have faced that, again, when you're a little younger, you haven't been at your job, you don't have a lot of seniority, and then you get fired. Mm-hmm. Because you're sick and you can't show up to work all the time. And so then if you're volunteering, it has practical benefits like helping you maybe network or helping you develop some skills that you need to develop to go back out in the job market. Um, and I think it's that's a really critical piece that can't be forgotten. Um, there's, there's, there are so many benefits for all of us, anybody, to volunteering. Um, but specifically if you've been through something tough, I, I get it because there are days when you just you don't want to leave your house and you just you, you don't, you don't do want to talk to anybody you don't want to do nothing yeah absolutely totally totally um, but I'm telling you you know helping somebody else volunteering there's there's a magic there that uh, it can't totally be explained but you just got to go try it now thinking about your emotional well-being through all of that. Um, was there ever a time that, uh, like finding something to laugh about or humor helped you kind of like rebound a little bit? Absolutely. So, um, I had the really good fortune of finding this organization called planet cancer. They don't, uh, completely exist. They were absorbed into live strong organization, but I found this group and then I started working for them and they had this very irreverent take on dealing with cancer. So we had these t-shirts that was like, Planet cancer, uh, we've done drugs Keith Richards never heard of. Or, you, know, <laughs> you like that one, huh? Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I had cancer and all I got was this stupid t-shirt. Um, and, you know, that was the place where you could absolutely tell funny stories. We had like, you know, the, the, the top 10 things you can do with your testicle that's been removed. Uh-huh. Or, you know, like all, all these things that everybody else would go, you shouldn't joke about that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, that's where I can tell the story of the very first time I ever had to have a CT scan. And, you know, I'm 26 years old. I'm recently divorced. So, you know, I'm like newly single, young. I go to the hospital. Not one of the female nurses that I saw all day long who is preparing me for all these exams, nobody explained to me. P.S. When they they open the iodine drip for the CT scan, you're going to feel like you've wet yourself. No, no, they left that for the hot young male nurse who had to look me dead in the eye and discuss self urination with me. 
That's so funny because I had the exact reverse thing when I had mine is that uh, it was a young, attractive, you know, female that was telling me, well, it's going to feel like you're peeing yourself. And I was like, when it happened, I was like, oh, you're right on that. It does feel exactly like that. Yeah. I mean, once you know that you're not, it's not entirely unenjoyable, but you have to be aware that that's not what's happening. <laughs> it's not completely unenjoyable. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Oh, the truth, that was, though, that hashtag, sorry, not sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, but you just, it, it's those moments where you could just want to pull the covers over your head. Yeah. And you have to, you have to find the people that you can chuckle with about that. Yeah. Um, that's the other thing. Like, you have to find the humor, and that's one thing, too. But everything's funnier when it's shared. Right. So you can try all you want to find humor, but if you don't have anybody else who can enjoy that humor with you, you probably won't be laughing very long. Whereas if you can then share it with someone, you're going to get years of laughter out of one of those moments. Absolutely. I mean, well, I, you know, I'm my own best party favor. So I will, I laugh at things that are just funny to me and I can't really share them with anybody, but they are, if I can't find somebody to share it with, it's, it's even funnier. Yes. Agreed. If you, you may just be able to be a self-perpetuating uh, humor machine, <laughs> but for me, you know, I'll get like a little under my breath chuckle, but it's so much better if I can share it with somebody who just gets it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now we're coming up on times, but I want to make sure that, you know, for like we encapsulate some of the things that uh, we've been talking about. So if, you know, somebody is, you know, in a dark place, going through something. What are your three best tips for, you know, pushing through to the other side? My three best tips are to really once and for all let go of the plan because it, it the, whatever's coming is better than whatever you had planned on. Right now may not be better. Right now may be significantly worse. But whatever is coming is better than whatever you thought you were steering yourself towards. So let go of the plan is number one. Mm -hmm. I think number two is try to find that perspective. Um, you know, help, help somebody else regain your perspective. And then number three is, you know, find that balance um, between balancing your emotions and what are the what are the concrete steps you can take that balance between emotion focused and problem focused coping find things that you can do and ways that you can feel better and when you start to do that that's what's going to rebuild your personal power and help you get that fuel back in your engine you know we don't have to feel powerless um and so every little tiny step that you take is like a little self-perpetuating uh, snowball that rolls down the hill and it starts to get faster and faster and bigger and bigger as it rolls. Wow. You are so smart and giving me so much stuff to think about. I mean, honest, honestly, I was like, I, I, and nicely that uh, even though I've known you for several years, I've learned so much more about, you know, who you are and what you do. It's been a fantastic time for me, the time we spent, you know, talking today. So thank you so much. Thank you. I've loved it. Now, um, if people want to find you after today, where do they go? 
So uh, you can find me online at CourtneyClark.com, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K.com. Um, and, or give me a ring, 512-494-4276. I answer my phone. That's, that's even more awesome. Now, yeah. if, if we were out drinking and we had a couple, I'd give you a couple drunk dares because I'm a sailor. That's what I do. Cool. But since we're not, I'm just going to ask you a few random questions for my overstuff. Would you rather book? Are you game, Courtney? I'm totally game. I have my mango sparkling water. I'm not sure if that counts. Is it, does, it does count. I'm actually, because um, it's early in the day, I'm drinking coffee. So we're all good. Fair enough. All right, so I'm just going to, uh, and these are random. I just open with a book. I'm not saying they're going to be politically correct. They're, I'm just saying random, they so. are the way they are. All right. <laughs> Would you rather, Courtney, laugh when you should cry and cry when you should laugh or never able to be uh, do either? Oh, for sure. Laugh when I should cry and cry when I should laugh. We were just talking about that. Yeah, that was a little too easy. I see it's stupid random questions. I'd rather yeah, have fun stuff. So not random. Something a little, okay. Okay. Here's the next question, Courtney. Would you rather, on a first date, wear a T-shirt that says, I'm with stupid, or a T-shirt that asks, who cut the cheese? Um, I'm going to go, I'm with stupid, because <laughs> I feel like to, to be with me, you, you got to have a strong sense of self anyway. Um, my, my husband is just about the, you know, the strongest, most awesome dude in the whole world. And so might as well get him learning early that I'm just, I'm going to tease him. That's so sweet. Yeah. That is. That's, I, I love to hear that stuff. So, all right. Last question, Courtney. You've been in love with each other. It's kind of Would nice. you rather, last question, would you rather bite the head off a live gopher or thoroughly, thoroughly lick a cat's butt? Oh, I gotta have to go with cat butt. <laughs> really? Okay. All right. Yeah. It's gotta be the cat butt. I can't I can't I can't kill an animal. But I can brush my teeth after. So. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, hey my friend, I certainly appreciate you spending the time with me today. I I, I got a lot from our conversation. I know that my listeners will too. Excellent. And I'll encourage anybody to go to Courtney's website, bring her in to speak. I mean, honest to God, she is hilarious and she has great content. So thanks again, my friend. Thanks, Chip. Have a good one. You too. This is LaughBox, <laughs> the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at aath.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.